Recently, Martin Joe had a great piece on on the budget that I think everybody needs to see. So what I did is I cut little segments of it to kind of make it flow a little bit better for folks who think they know about the budget and what needs to be cut and what doesn't need to be raised as far as taxes can get a picture. This is important. Take a look at this and then we'll take it on the other side. Steve Ratner, so glad to have you here. Why don't we start with how much the House and the Senate plans clash and how difficult it is to to actually synthesize those two plans? So you remember that back in the spring when, when we almost defaulted on our debt, there was an agreement between the White House and the Republicans as to what spending would look like for this coming year. And it's what we're talking. We talk about spending. We're talking about non-defense discretionary, meaning we don't talk about Social Security, Medicare, a lot of the a lot of parts of the budget. I'm going to show you that in a second. We talk about things like the transportation department or housing department and so forth. So out of that pool of money, the deal between the president and the Republicans back in the spring was to make a $2 billion reduction. We would spend $2 billion less in the fiscal year that just started over this past weekend than we spent in the previous fiscal year. The Senate Republicans and Democrats, so bipartisan, they agreed on actually increasing spending by $4 billion. They put some money back for a few things that they thought were important. McCarthy came up with a bill that he hoped would pass the House that involves $60 billion of spending. The hard right, the MAGA group, whatever you want to call them, killed that bill. He came back with a continuing resolution that would involve cutting $196 billion of spending they rejected that bill too. And that is where we are now. But let me put those numbers in perspective for you. As a share of our economy, obviously the original two deals that we talked about, very small effect on our, uh, on, uh, not on the economy, but on our spending. The McCarthy bill would have cut spending in this category by 9%. The House continuing resolution would have cut spending in this category by a full 30%. And I'll show you in a bit what some of those implications are. So, Steve, let's move over to your second chart about where the money's coming from. The proposed uh, bill here was $60 billion uh, of proposed cuts, massive reductions in uh, non-discretionary funding. Right, because they can't touch that. And let me just show you how small a part it is. So you have here, uh, this is our non-defense discretionary, only 14% of the budget. Defense, which you theoretically can cut, but nobody wants to, 12% of the budget. But all the rest of this stuff, Social Security, Medicare, other kinds of uh, aid to people who are uh, who are suffering, and then a bunch of other stuff, and then interest on the debt, of course, we can't cut. And they're fighting over this tiny little sliver of Ukraine aid, which is more symbolic than substantive, obviously. So you're cutting out of this little piece of the budget. And so the consequences of that are something like Title I education, 77% cut. Women, infants, children, it's a form of kind of like food stamps, 70% cut. Affordable housing, 66% cut. And so on and so forth. The Labor Relations Board, 33% cut. Uh, water quality, 55% cut. So the math is almost impossible. How do you, how do you reconcile? And this is the smaller of the two. This is the 60, the $60 billion one. Imagine if you try to do the $196 billion one, which they haven't even laid out the specifics of. So this would really gut, and this is what they're trying to do, of course. This would gut, uh, so many functions of the government that so many Americans depend on. 
Yeah, we're talking about things like uh, grants for low-income schools, water quality, et cetera. So let's look at that third chart. Steve, how does the debt and deficit play into this? As we've said many times, the last administration under Donald Trump in just four years added nearly $8 trillion to the debt. Uh, What does it look like now and how does it affect this conversation? So, look, we do have a deficit and a debt problem. That, that much of this is legitimate and fair. Our debt, our deficit this past fiscal year was $2 trillion in the federal government. It's going to be $2 trillion again this year. And you can see here the deficit, which is this whole space in here. And so what happened? Basically, we kept our revenue share of the government, of the size of the economy roughly flat. We did cut a bunch of taxes. You can see the Bush, the George W. Bush tax cuts. You can see the Trump tax cuts. So we held down our revenues, but meanwhile, our spending was exploding. And so we end up with $2 trillion deficits. And that, of course, turns into debt. We have $33 trillion of debt uh, at the moment in this country. And let's just show where that came from. All the way from 1776 until Bush took office in 2001, we accumulated, and that includes fighting wars, World War II, mm. $5.7 trillion of debt. And then you can see every president since then has added a huge amount of debt. Trump, as you just said, Willie, $7.8 trillion of debt in one term, far less than, for example, Barack Obama uh, across the two terms as a proportion, and Biden so far, $4.6 trillion. So you can see these are these are just unsustainable amounts of debt that we're adding. But you can't really do it by cutting all that other stuff. It's just too much. uh, It's too much deficit relative to what you have available in those discretionary programs. Well, and, and Steve, that's always been the problem. It's always been the problem, and and it's something that we dealt with going all the way back to 1995 when we were talking about balancing the budget. People say, oh, we'll take from foreign aid. We'll take from food stamps. We'll take from this. No, no, no. it's, It's Social Security, Medicare. Medicaid, defense spending, and now more uh, a hell of a lot more than what we had to worry about in the 90s when we were trying to balance the budget, interest on the debt, and the massive tax cuts to the richest Americans that Trump gave us a couple of years ago. You, you look, you look at, at, at the richest Americans, they have much better tax treatment than working class Americans or small business owners or entrepreneurs who are just starting out. A lot of workers in states like New York, Connecticut, uh, New Jersey, Illinois, California, they're paying 50, 51, 52, 53, 54% of every dollar that they make to taxes Whereas you got people in Wall Street paying 15, 16, 17 percent, these billionaires. It's just it's insanity. We're not we're not going to balance the budget with these yahoos saying, oh, cut food stamps, cut foreign aid. That's just a small, small proportion of our budget. Yeah, look, we have a two trillion dollar deficit and all that other stuff over there uh, only adds up to less than two hundred billion dollars. And it would completely, completely and utterly gut the federal government in terms of what it does. So, yes, we're not going to even get close to balancing the budget. You know, Joe, look, you said it right. The conundrum is we've got all this stuff that nobody feels we can cut. So you've got this little sliver you're dealing with and spending has been going up by a rapid rate. Taxes, as you point out, we've been cutting and cutting. 
cut, tax cut, tax cut. And so tax revenues have not been going up as a share of the economy. And you got to do mm. something. You've either got to deal with taxes. And I agree with you about where the money should come from. There are a lot of rich people not paying their fair share. Or you've got to deal with making some changes in here. But otherwise, you're never going to get this deficit down to anything that looks like a balanced budget, let alone something that actually is a balanced budget. What is interesting is when Joe, first of all, Joe uh, uh, has made a big progress in the way he thinks over the years. Now he actually believes that billionaires should pay their fair share in taxes. But one of the other things that they point out is, look, if we want to make changes, uh, we have to go at the big programs. And they're actually right. Some of those big programs need to grow a little bit bigger. And some of those programs can be a lot smaller if we use sensible policies. Example, if we have Medicare, uh, well, let's call it single payer healthcare system, where we take the for profits out of healthcare where they don't belong. We could probably cut that Medicare bill in half and we can go through that because it's not only about the cost of insurance, et cetera, that, that pilfers up for 28 to 30 percent. It also includes medicines that we already paid for and developed. So that is one huge savings. There is some there are some increases in Social Security that we probably need because a, a lot of folks, Social Security is just too small. But that compensated by the uh, by raising the taxes on the billionaires who make the vast majority of the income in this country would make a big difference. And likewise, we can make sure that we have the Medicaid working more efficiently. Why again? Because we take the private sector out of it. Here in Texas, a lot of Medicaid is actually administered by private sector companies, which inherently make things more Expensive. So there are a lot of things that we can do immediately to solve the problems that we're talking about will bring the budget deficit done down. And the last thing that I want that we need, and, and they're trying to make a Supreme, they're trying to make it illegal in the Supreme Court. They're trying to pass a constitutional amendment here in Texas to do what again? To make a wealth tax impossible. The truth of the matter is this country's wealth was built by all of us. There must be a wealth tax on the rich as well. There is already a wealth tax on all of us. When you have any kind of property that's your wealth, you are paying a tax on it. You have a home that's your wealth, you're paying a tax on it. You have a car that's your wealth, you're paying a tax on it. There are various things that we pay taxes on based on what we have. And why do we have wealth taxes? Why do we have income taxes? The more you have, it means the more of society you were able to benefit of. Yes, you do have your own personal initiative as well. But again, a percentage of that is just a mere existence of society. So folks, there are a lot of ways we could balance the budget rather quickly. We could do it rather in a, uh, in a manner that doesn't hurt people. In a matter that doesn't even hurt the billionaires, the only difference is that they'll see a few less billion dollars in their coffers, billions that they won't spend anyway. As I tell people all of the time, there's a certain kind of psychopath that defines a billionaire.
We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.